before any conversation with any potential shareholder, I'm always really upfront. We're only offering ordinary shares. And if that's not of interest to you, then there's probably no point talking any further. We really, really believe the shareholders that joined us really early on to now and our team who are ESOP, that it should be equitable that everyone has the same shares. This is The Raise, where we take you behind the scenes into the capital raising journeys of startup founders. Some you may have heard of, others you need to hear about, and all of whom have been through it to close a raise. On the show, you'll learn how founders make the difficult decisions. Whether you're a founder yourself or you're simply interested in the fast-moving, innovative world of startups, this show is for you. I'm your host, Mylin Dang. I'm Managing Director of capital raising law firm Metis Law. For over a decade, I've worked with founders to raise capital so they can build businesses that make a lasting impact. Hello, hello, founders and friends. Today, I'm chatting with Brooke Roberts, the CEO and co-founder of ShareZiz. ShareZiz is an investment platform that is democratizing financial investment by giving anyone who has just $5 the same financial investment opportunity as someone who has $5 million. ShareZiz won the 2021 Finder Investment Awards as the top share trading platform for beginners and is today valued at almost half a billion dollars. Brooke and her co-founder Sonia Williams were finalists in the New Zealand Women of Influence Awards. In this episode, you'll hear Brooke smash some of the common myths that founders are told about capital raising, like that you have to give investors preferential rights. The questions she and her five co-founders asked themselves to create the vision and values that still drives ShareZiz today, and why being a B corporation was integral to their startup DNA. Let's dive in. Brooke, welcome to the show. Kia thank you so much for having me. Brooke, your company is ShareZiz. What's your elevator pitch? Oh, so Sharesies, we're here to create financial empowerment for everyone by giving someone with $5 the same money opportunities as someone with $5 million. Love it. My partner and I gave our little nephew some money about two years ago. He was 13 for his birthday. We usually buy him huge gifts. And a couple of years ago, we said, we're giving you, I think it was $50 or $100. And we said, this is actually part ownership in a company. And he's in Christchurch. And we ended up signing him up for Sharesies. I love that. That's fantastic. I, I love the app. Sharesies is only five years old. In that time, it's achieved some impressive milestones. Finder Investment Awards 2021 crowned Sharesies as the top trading platform for beginners and one of the best for long-term investors. Sharesies currently manages over $1.7 billion in funds for over half a million customers and it gives users access to stock markets in New Zealand, Australia and the USA. Not only that, you and your co-founder, Sonia Williams, has jointly won the New Zealand Women of Influence Award for Business and Enterprise in 2020. And that's just to to name a few in a whole shopping list of awards that Sharesies and your co-founders have won. Brooke, with all that under your belt, what's your next big audacious dream for Sharesies? There's so much still for us to do in terms of creating financial empowerment for everyone. So the dream really is to really amplify what we've done so far in terms of making sure people are aware that investing is accessible to them and then really helping people feel really confident 
as investors and in growing their wealth and then really motivated to really make it a habit so that over time there's less wealth inequality and more intergenerational knowledge and wealth transfer. You've mentioned the accessibility to wealth and the term that I've seen used is the democratisation of share investment. I love that word, democratisation. Shares is also B Corporation and B Corp is a badge designating that it's a business that has high standards of accountability and transparency on things such as employee benefits, stakeholder engagement, charitable giving, etc. Brooke, where did this desire to bring together this sense of social justice into financial services come from? Yeah, so ever since day one, when six of us founded Sharesies, we really believed that everyone should have an equal opportunity to grow their wealth. And with the technology available today, there's just no reason why they can't. And we knew from day one, the purpose was driving us. This is, we're creating something that was purpose-driven and that is what unites us and what five years on drives us to this day and the whole team. And so it was really important to us that we knew that we're creating a business that was a force for good. When we first started, we applied to be a B Corp and they're like, oh, you've got to run, you've got to have some revenue and run for a year. So as soon as we could, yeah, we applied and and then became certified. And that, that's really important to us in terms of there's a lot of places out there that might call themselves a social enterprise. They have one part of their business that they seem to do okay in, but might have, not have the best practices in others. And that's what I really like about being a B Corp is that you go through some pretty rigorous certification to go, yep, you know, you you do meet a higher standard in terms of how you treat your customers, the impact, how you measure the impact you're having on the environment. And you've got good governance processes in place and, and you care about the people that help you create shares. Yeah, I think it's always been ingrained in us that we're here to create a business that does good and drives value from doing good. In your previous life, you had a stellar career in corporate with companies such as Kiwi Bank and Zero. Sharesies was someone of a side hustle? What was the inflection point in Sharesies that made you make the leap to work in it full time? I had more side hustles than other business ideas or supporting other social entrepreneurs and things like that. But when we decided to start Sharesies, three of the founders, Layden, Sonia and I, went all in. We quit our jobs and we're like, we're doing this. But what was really awesome is that the places we worked said, actually, we'll give you extended leave for three months. So if you're cracking in three months, you know, good on you. It'll be a great alumni story. And if you come back, cool, you would have learned some great things to bring back into the companies we're working at. We were really lucky that we got that opportunity. But yeah, we never needed to go back as we kept bathing our way and still are. Sharesies has six co-founders and a three EO setup where you have three CEOs. A very common dilemma for startup founders is actually finding a co-founder. How did you meet your fellow co-founders? Sonia, who's one of the co-founders, was the person who had the initial idea behind Sharesies. Leighton and I are husband and wife, and at this time we were fiancés, and we were really keen on starting a business and, and something in fintech, and we were tutoring with some ideas, along with Richard and Martin, who are the developers who are also co-founders. And Sonia was talking with her partner, Ben, who is also a co-founder, and he's our design chief. And so it was really fortunate that Sonia got contact with, with Leighton and and heard how Leighton had started an investment club when he was 17, putting $50 away each week with 13 friends and and how that still goes today and how showing that you can invest with amounts like that and build a portfolio over time. And we wanted to really make that more accessible to more people. And so through a wonderful moment, it's quite serendipitous, really. We all ended up getting together and, and co-founding Sharesies. So how did Sonia come to know Leighton? So they were working together at Kiwi Bank. And how did you all meet? Your, your other co-founders? How did you come across them? 
Yeah, just the stars align. So Martin plays percussion and Leighton is a trumpet player. So they're both in a brass band together and had known each other for years. Uh, they were interested in working together and Richard worked with Martin as a developer. They had their own company together and Sonia and Ben were partners and Leighton and I were partners. So we all kind of, there's this little weave amongst all of us that pulled us together. And yeah, it's pretty remarkable Five years on, we're all even more passionate than what we were back then probably and, yeah, have really strong friendships. Going into business with someone is like marrying them. So it's difficult enough if you were just vetting one co-founder. How did you vet each other? I, I wouldn't put it as such as a vetting process, but making sure that our motives really align. I've started a business before where the first year of it running, you could really tell that the motives were aligned. And then the second year when a few other people came in, they had different motivations. I think it's really important to go. We all really cared about the purpose and we want, and we all had a really strong vision of how we could help make that happen. And we knew we had the skills we needed together in order to bring Shazies to life. But what we did early on is we sat down at a cafe and got a big piece of paper and I just asked the team a lot of questions on if you were going to create the most amazing business in the world, what would it feel like to work there? What are things that you would never want to see happen in your company that you've seen happen in others? And just we wrote down all these bullet points from this conversation we had and out of that came our values and could really see where we aligned. Did you do that exercise thinking that you were going into business with these people or? Was it just an exercise to come up with an idea for a business? No, this was when we already knew that Shazie's idea that we wanted to bring to life. This was more how would we work together and start fleshing out those stories and the way that we each think a bit more. It, it was pretty amazing how from that conversation it, it turned into our values of Shazie's that we serve today. We have a very clear purpose and direction for Shazie's and we also have a clear path of how we want to bring that to life in the way that we behave. And I think that was really important. So having those conversations up front around our purpose, our vision and our values I think has helped align us and, and ultimately helped us as we, we've gone on to hire and grow to over 200 people working here today. And I've heard from very reliable sources that the co-founding team do in fact have a shared vision and very aligned on your approach on the vision and your culture. What does a typical co-founder meeting look like these days? Well, now we have such an incredible leadership team that a lot of the time we spend together is with our teams. And so if it's just us co-founders catching up, it's just probably more a bit of a banter hanging out together because now we've got amazing people that have been added and contribute to Sharesies. And if it's many Sharesies chats, it's usually with them around too. What's the one thing that you or your team does that you think contributes to this optimum functioning and alignment of views day to day? Because when you start a new business at the beginning, everyone gets excited and you draw up that vision. How do you maintain that momentum? The way that that's done always is changing as we grow. So, you know, the early days we could all just get into a room. You already knew what somebody else was thinking and you knew you were part of it and you just go. Where now, you know, there's a lot more thought goes into our team meetings and making sure that our strategy is really clear and people understand what they do that best contributes to that. I think the structure around that and the, the tools we've used has definitely changed over the years. But ultimately it comes down to knowing that we're all in it together. We're here to do Chase Remarkable, do amazing work and that we have deep, deep care in everything we do. And like I said, those values that we have of always care in it together and Chase Remarkable have enabled us to navigate our growth journey really well. Brooke, I'd like to talk about your capital raising journey. Five years in, Shares has successfully completed its Series C raise in October 2021 with a follow-on in January of this year. The company's valued at half a billion dollars. 
You have quite a diverse range of investors on your cap table from high profile corporate investors like TradeMe to VCs and angel investors like Stephen Tyndall, who's the founder of The Warehouse. Was the design of the cap table profile intentional? The thing we most designed is making sure that everybody that became our owner and shares these really, really believed in our purpose and wanted to see that come to life. And that's what we ultimately looked for is like they really believe in what we're doing and why we're doing it and they really want to back us. And so that's probably the extent of the design. We always wanted to to make sure that as many people within reason and within the boundaries of the law could have access to being part of Sharesies too. And also making sure that we did have those strategic shareholders too, those ones that can really add value and open doors and um, be there to call on and have that experience and wisdom. And I think we've been really fortunate to be able to yeah, build an incredible shareholding. Um, and I'll know that continue as we grow too. I want to explore that a little bit further, but you touched on something that I was thinking about earlier, and that is Sharesy's app allows you to democratise share investment. And are there any designs or plans to democratise access to the Sharesy's company itself for other investors? Yeah, the amount of investors on our platform were like, oh, I'd love to be able to buy shares in Sharesy's. We've always seen that as a path in our future or something that we'd like to do, but yeah, we're always going to assess the best capital raising at any time. And that's um, so far been the way that we've done it. Brooke, how did you meet your cornerstone investors, people like Trade Me and Stephen Tyndall? Quite fortunate, I guess. So we met Rob Tyndall, uh, so through K1W1. Yeah, we, we got connected with them. We got to meet them and they, they were really, really supportive and really could see what we wanted to do. So that was really helpful. And then with Trade Me, yeah, that was a few years ago now that we got connected to them and they really believed in uh, a business that was founded here in Aotearoa and has grown really, really well here. And there was a lot we could learn from a company that had started in Wellington and grown like that. And also they are B2C, they're straight to the customers or a, a big chunk of their business anyway. And so that was really interesting too, because a lot of the startup or growth companies from Aotearoa are typically business to business or B2B. And so that was really helpful to, to learn from them. And yeah, it was great when they first invested, they would support us, could ask their team anything that'd be really helpful, like sending us their recruitment email templates or having conversations with us about different areas of growth that we might be going through soon and kind of could learn from them since they've gone through that. So yeah, we were really fortunate to get connected with yeah, John McDonald at the time, who now is on our independent director on our board too. Did you meet him through the accelerator or was it a personal connection? We were looking for, yeah, really people that had had that growth company experience and had grown something from here too. And I think we re- I think we reached out to him to get connected or somebody luckily connected us. And yeah, that was just really fortunate independently from us starting to get to know him yeah, through Trade Me and their strategy team. They're saying, hey, you should look at Sharesies. One of the most interesting things for me is that all of your investors hold the same class of shares, ordinary shares. Many startups are led to believe that once you start bringing on investors who aren't family and friends, that investors will only accept some sort of preferential shares. And I love that you've kept everyone on the same class of shares. How were you able to convince your later investors to accept the same class of shares as your earlier investors? Before any conversation with any potential shareholder, I'm always really upfront, like we're only offering ordinary shares. And if that's not of interest to you, then there's probably no point talking any further. And I, we really, really believe the shareholders that joined us really early on to now and in our team who are ESOP, that it really should be equitable in that regard, that everyone has the same shares. So 
almost consistent with your brand, isn't it, about the democratisation? Yeah, and yeah, what we stand for. And so far, I haven't had any issues in that regard. People just understand why and they get that. And who knows what happens in the future, I, you know, or what, but that's definitely something that we've, we stand really strongly by. I love that. Did you lose any interest? Were there, were there people who just said, no, we can't? Not that I recall. There's definitely been people where we've talked about shares and they're like, oh, not for now, you know. I think early on people are like, oh, you know, that's not going to happen. That's like, yes, it will. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And I think it's just you stood really strongly in that. Absolutely. What challenges did you experience in your earlier rounds of cap raising that you didn't experience in the later rounds? A lot. I studied finance. I I knew a bit about raising, but hadn't really done it before since starting Shares. And I have learned so much about capital raising and about the dynamics that play out. I think early on, you know, we were there. There were so many rules that have been put around capital raising that you get told as a founder early on, like, oh, well, you can't raise money until you've got revenue. And that's not true anymore. And, oh, you can't go to these VCs because they only invest Series A. And that's not true. Like there's so many dynamics that have changed now. I think for founders going, who do I want to help me bring this company to life? And who do I want to co-own this with? And then just go on hunting them. <laughs> I think it's the best way of growing that, that shareholding base. But in terms of things we learned, you know, early on, we got told, yep, you won't be able to raise until you have revenue. But we we raised 400K pre-revenue. That's what we needed at that time. And we raised it with a convertible note with no valuation cap and things like that. And that was because it's like, well, we know we're creating something valuable, but it is pre-revenue and it's pre-product. There's a massive opportunity here and we know that. And I think people really believed in the team we had and really wanted to see us come to life and we got awesome backers that way. And then our next raise, it was really interesting going through the valuation, studied a lot about valuations and realized it really is an art and a science. From a founder's perspective, it's like, well, we need this much money to get to our next phase in the business and we're willing to give up this much equity to do that. And ta-da, there's your valuation. Uh, and then you have the other flip side trying to do discounted cash flow models or multiples on revenue and things like that. And ultimately it does come down to, yeah, really what you need in order to unlock that next stage of the business and not lock out opportunities to raise capital in the future, reduce your attractiveness as a business. So I think there's so much to learn and I have not articulated it really well. I think one thing we did experience in the early days that we have never experienced since is the real emotional volatility that can sometimes come from potential shareholders. Another thing that can kind of happen when you're, you're first starting to pitch or something is they're like, oh, well, we've got a pitch event on this date, so you come at this date. But during that time, you might have been oversubscribed or got a lot of interest while you come to that date to pitch these next people. And and that did happen to us. And we kept them in the loop saying, oh, look, you know, it's done to fill up, just FYI. And, that you know, like stuck with their date. And then by the time we got to their date, we were oversubscribed. And we let them know that. We're really upfront with it. It's kind of like flip table moments. It was just saying, you know, it doesn't mean that we've committed it at all or stuff like that, but just so you know, this is the state we're in. And I think that was really interesting. There's just a few dynamics where the kind of processes that are put on sometimes around these things can break. We were more than two founders in a garage, which is typically what people expected when we were pitching, that things were moving fast for us. And yeah, we kind of broke some of those molds, which I think ultimately we just haven't really experienced as much since those first capital raising days. Are there any challenges that are new that you're experiencing the later rounds that weren't experienced in the earlier rounds? There always is, I think. We're raising bigger amounts of money. And with that, yeah, there's different dynamics in terms of who can actually join the rounds that can really support us going forward as we need more and more capital. And so we start to look more at international investors too. And so we've got people on our 
shareholders that are based in Australia and Singapore and US and, and, and beyond too. And I think so there's those kind of relationships you start to form. But at the heart of it, it's still going, you know, do these people really care about what we're doing? Do they want to add value and, and how do they want to interact with us? And What's one thing you can share with other founders who are thinking about capital raising or about to embark on the capital raising journey? One thing is look for shareholders that really, really believe in what you're doing and believe in you. And you'll ultimately be so well backed and supported and feel really excited about any time you're communicating with the shareholders or any time, you know, and I think I, I feel so fortunate to be a, to be in that position and be really clear on your non-negotiables, I think is really important. Like, what do you really need out of these shareholders and what are you willing to give for that? And then being really clear and upfront about that. Because then that stops you having to waste time. You do all this pitching in the last minute, you know, seeing some founder friends last minute, then these terms come at them and they're like, what? I can't accept that. And it's like just being really upfront. Think about what is, you know, what you're looking for. It really helps those conversations get be a lot more speedy, uh, which is helpful because you just want to get out of the capital raising and back to creating your business and also make sure that you're getting yeah, shareholders that really, really believe in what you're doing and, and want to support you. I'd like to finish off with what I call the quick six which is six rapid fire questions. I've remixed these from, from some of my favorite interviewers. Brooke, what's your favorite work from home, lunch or snack? I love dark chocolate and nectarines to balance it out. Oh, <laughs> a balanced diet. I think you're the only uh, guest that has been honest <laughs> with that answer. <laughs> what's a great book that you've read recently? Paraco. Uh, it's about, it's Maori stories retold by Maori writers. Beautiful. A documentary or podcast that you've watched or listened to recently that you would recommend? Oh, no. Inventing Anna just came to mind because I just watched that. That is on my to-watch list. Oh, yeah. So as lighthearted, I guess. That's a good answer. <laughs> What's the most useful good or service that you've purchased in the last 12 months that costs $100 or less? Honestly, online delivery of a supermarket. I know that's really lame, but just making my life a little bit more efficient this year is just so helpful. What's on heavy rotation on your music playlist right now? Uh, aiming up by two and other. And if money and time were no object, what would you be doing tomorrow and why? Taking my kids on an adventure somewhere, which I actually can do tomorrow because it's Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Some dreams are tangible, very tangible. <laughs> Brooke, this has been lots of fun. I have a million other questions that I would love to ask you and perhaps we can have you back another time, but I do want to re be respectful of your time today. How do people find you? Oh, you can find Sheezies at Sheezies.com or you can find me on LinkedIn if you want. Thank you for sharing your story with me today, Brooke. I'm very grateful for you. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate the time. You've been listening to The Raise, a show that takes you deeper into founder stories about capital raising. We'll have all the contact details for Brooke and Sharesies in our show notes. The Raise is brought to you by Termsheet Guru. If you'd like to learn how to raise capital like a guru, like Sharesies, join our Termsheet Negotiation Masterclass. To register, head to termsheet.guru. That's T-E-R-M-S-H-E-E-T dot G-U-R-U. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Raise, be sure to subscribe or follow the show wherever you get your favourite podcasts. And while you're there, share the love and leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Mylin Dang, and I'll be back next episode with another deep dive into a founder's capital raising journey. Hold up. 